and welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? Uh, must podcast. Must podcast. <laughs> That's how I feel every day. I'm just a podcasting machine specially made for uh, a mutant version of the human race that's going to come along. Uh, today, we are getting to the fourth Doctor, uh, we're into the Tom Baker years and our bonus uh, series looking at all classic Doctor Who. And if we're going to be doing Tom Baker, um, there was only one story really um, that, that could really be done. Today we're going to be talking about Genesis of the Daleks. A uh, couple of things. So I've, got, I've actually got to watch it on DVD today. Uh, Tom Baker as the Doctor, uh, Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith, and uh, Peter Miles as Nidir. And I've got the full list in. And then they have Harry as well as the companion, whose name I don't have. But let's be clear, rather ineffectual in this story, if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah, um, he's not, yeah Harry Sullivan. I'm forgetting who. Yeah. I think Harry. I might. Let me just check because I've got the book in as well. Here you go. This is terrible uh, podcasting. But here you go. Um, Ian Martyr. Place him. Mm. There you go. Yeah, it doesn't even appear anywhere in the, uh, <laughs> in the book, which is how important he is to this story. There you go. Uh, Genesis the Daleks. So, let's have a quick sort of a bit uh, summary uh, before we go in. So, the Doctor and his two companions, uh, Sarah Jane Smith and Harry, are pulled to a planet called Scarrow by a fellow Time Lord, uh, one of the Time Lord sort of rulers. And the Doctor is given a time ring to allow him to return, but he is told that this is a moment in time when he has the opportunity to go back and stop the creation of the Daleks. Uh, he is on the planet of Skaro, where there is a war going on between the Thals and the Kaleds. Uh, and between the two, the Doctor and his companions meet the two sides and they come across, uh, in the Kaleds, they come across a scientist, part of the scientist and military elite uh, a member of that team called Davros and Davros goes around in a very familiar looking wheelchair uh, or device and he has produced these machines these travel machines that will allow a mutant version of the, of the Kaled race to survive and move on um, but these machines are called Daleks uh, but does the Doctor take the opportunity to destroy the Daleks, um, and what else do we learn about their genesis? So, Julian, what are your first thoughts then about Genesis of the Daleks? I have very mixed feelings about it, actually. Okay. Um, I it, it's good. Don't get, mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's good. It holds up. It it flows very speedily compared to most Doctor Who serials yes. from the era. Um, 
it's also a lot darker. Mm-hmm. I love the Daleks. Um, but I part of my problem is that I love the Daleks and I love the first Dalek serial, which it's very faithful to, except when it's not. And <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I mean, Davros is stuck around. He's come back. Um, he's cool. I like mm. when he shows up. But there's a part of me that that sort of feels like it's Borg Queen syndrome, you know, like the yeah. Daleks. Do, do we need this guy? And um, yeah, and I'm and I'm puzzled by the finale. Yeah, we'll get to the finale because there's a couple of bits in it. Um, I have questions about and, and how it sort of it works with the wider Dalek continuity. But um, I, I agree with what you're saying, actually. I really enjoy this story. Um, I think it's it's really well done. Like I said, it flows incredibly well. It is dark. Um, and one of the things I'm, I'm, I was kind of fascinated by is we're quite used to, you know, the Doctor being on the side of right for a start. Um, and they're always being sort of like, or well, it's usually like a relatively clear cut, here's the good guy, or here's the underclass, here's the underdog that the Doctor will side with. In this, we quickly learn that both the Thals and the Kaelids are equally <laughs> um, as bad as each other. You know, Davros sort of stands apart from all that, but like, you know, the Thals are looking to produce a rocket. Um, some sort of weapon to wipe out the Kaelids and the you know the Kaelids are looking to, for a device to wipe out the Thals like it's it, this is just down to mutual you know self-destruction there's, there's no end in sight this this war's been on for a thousand years um and I, I sort of found that quite interesting that there's no sort of like you look at the especially the Kaelids like you know it's clear the inspiration for their uniforms like there's no it there's no subtlety the Nazis at, specifically yeah, yeah yeah there's no subtlety but the Thals are all wearing like dungarees and stuff so again I'm like okay is this supposed to be Russia like it's clear you know is that supposed to be sort of the influence sort of like still, they've all got that high collar looking mm. uh uniform and all this other stuff so but it's clear like oh there's no there's no good guys here and I find that kind of interesting that the doctor and the companions are sort of stuck in the middle. But you meet individuals on both sides mm-hmm. that are good, or at least, you know, not completely corrupted. Yeah, and and the Thals were the good guys of the first uh, da- Dalek serial. So I mean, they're going back to that, which I think is awesome. Um, but yeah, I didn't. You're right that they. It's not a clear moral situation. But it's clear that the Thals aren't Nazis, and yeah. they actually talk about reconstructing uh, the Kaled society, which seems, you know, uh, at least a step above uh, Nazism. And, well, and I, I no, 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 no. You say okay, that. Go ahead. <laughs> you say that. But the way we'll get to the way they treat Sarah Jane mm, mm-hmm. um, and the Mutos. When they're mm. sort of like, they've brought us back to this room. Why have they left us here? When the rocket goes off and she's like, oh, yeah, we're going to get incinerated by it. Yeah, that's true. I was like, all right, that's that's pretty dark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that to me, that sort of dark tone comes back to the war setting that's sort mm-hmm. of established right away, which is clearly, you know, very much World War One with trenches and gas attacks yeah. and stuff. And yeah, I mean, that's very dark. There's slow motion of people being shot. 
I mean, mm. it's pretty dark for a show that is ostensibly a a kids show. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there's some. There's a couple of specific bits. Or, or, um, in fact, it's worth talking about now. We're talking about the tone. Um, Sarah, the, the, the group split up, which often happens because you can sort of run parallel stories then uh, with different protagonists. With Sarah Jane, she sort of meets the mute, uh, the mutos, and the, which is like a mutant version of like you're never entirely sure. They're just a mutant variant. Um, whether they are Kaled or Thal is sort of like in, you know irrelevant. And they are used as slave labor by the Thals. But they, they, she, so Sarah Jane sort of uh, instigates an escape um, at one point. And, and I love this bit. They're climbing up the scaffolding that surrounds this rocket. And it's doing really well. Like, you know, um, I enjoyed it. Get to the top. Um, you know, well, there's a, there's a cliffhanger moment. You think she's mm. fallen and you find she's gone about three feet, which, again, mm-hmm. felt very Batman 66. But that's besides the point. Well, or even Batman 40. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The bit I want to talk about is they get to the top. Her and this other Muto that sort of stays around, and then they get they get cut off. Two Thal soldiers come up, and the Muto gives in. Is like fine, and then Sarah Jane sort of is a bit more reluctant because she's scared of the, the drop. When that soldier steps over and says, "Give me your hand," and she does, thinking he's going to sort of like step her across this gap, and then kicks her legs out from under her. <laughs> So she falls off, and then he holds her, and he says, um, it's often said um, that people that fall from this kind of height are dead before they hit the ground. I don't think it's true. Shall we find out? Mm. And I'm just like, like you said, this is a kid's show. This was a family show. He pulls her up, granted, like he doesn't let her go. But for a second, I was like, that's, that's skirting a line, that is. That really felt like skirting a line to me. Well, and for all the stories about kids hiding behind the sofa to watch the Daleks on Doctor mm. Who, I mean, you think that, you know, would scare them worse. I mean, to me, um, the moment where Davros has agreed to this uh, democratic forum <laughs> to determine yeah. what's going on, and then you see it coming a mile away, but yeah. then... You think, like, you know, it's probably not going to be as graphic as it will be. But then Daleks storm in and execute everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, yeah. and you watch, like, all these good characters, characters who are good guys, um, just get mowed down. Yeah. And they're just all dead. And, and that seems to me like a very un-Doctor Who sort of moment. Although I like it. I mean, I, I like oh, the yes, it's, it's, I mean, it's Yeah, well, the, the thing, what I would say is... We say about the tone and stuff, and you know, it is dark because this is the Daleks. This is the birth of the Daleks, like the literal genesis. It can't be lighthearted. Like they are a product of violence and this other stuff. And then, so th- this sets them up. You know, granted, this is a prequel, as it, as it would be, because it's going back to their genesis, going back in time. But from the moment of their um, uh, sentience, or even before that, really, like. I understand now watching this being like, yeah, these things are a threat. I understand why they're scary. We watched obviously the the Peter Cushing version, and in that they felt a little bit like roving pepper pots, and they looked, you know, they were fine. And we knew them as Daleks, but they was they was looked a little, you know, felt a little bit silly. With this, they feel like a legit threat. You know, they are grey and black, and they are very cutthroat 
and even and when they gain sentience, like it is merciless. Um, they are scary in this. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the things that this does well. Um, mm. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Daleks. I think that those early serials, the second of which was adapted as as that film. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's they're limited by the budgetary constraints at yes. the time. And there are little, you know, there are people inside these. <laughs> little feet uh, underneath, yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, they're on rollers and mm. they have a plunger attached to them. I mean, there are elements that look silly and they were based on the Nazis, which is why mm. it makes sense for their origin to be a little more on the nose. But I think what was scary about them was the inhumanity. Yeah. It was that sort of um, Nazi allegory writ sci-fi these are people who are inhuman they don't even look human and they're glad to exterminate and murder people yeah. but you can tip them over right i mean individually they're not that scary it's mm -hmm. just that they are nazi stormtroopers doing terrible things here they clearly take great pains to make the daleks themselves actually individually effective and scary yeah. and i think that's done remarkably well and I like the idea that when the Daleks appear, and it was always true, it's a big deal, right? It's mm. like the Master shows up, it should be a big deal. The Daleks show up, it should be a big deal. Yeah, and this feels, I mean, th this whole story feels like a big deal. Um, it feels more than, I mean, again, you know, you said budget and, and design and stuff. But this is still like, what, 70, you know, Five. 75. So we're not really talking like, you know, cutting edge special effects or anything. But this feels like this story feels like they've put a bit more money into it. It's almost like they recognized it and were like, oh, this one, this one, you know, feels important. Um, so the, the sets in them in and of themselves feel um, a little bit more robust. The costuming's really good. You know, like you said, the design of the Daleks, like everything feels like a little bit more. And then you have Davros and the makeup on Davros. It's like, it's no wonder they brought him back because you design this character <laughs> and then you put him in, and then, you know, we'll get to the finale. And you go, like, no, 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 you got to bring this guy back. Like, the design is brilliant. Like, I absolutely love it. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? It, it manages to look both cheap and really cool, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Like, especially when you have the and you and I are fans of sort of um, practical effects, mm -hmm. and we don't mind a little, you know, cheapness if we see what they're going for. Yeah. And especially around the eyes, you see like this is some sort of like it. It looks almost if it's, as if it's like a sort of transparent mesh that's been colored that yes. he's, the actor's looking through, and it's but it looks fuzzy it looks out of focus yet you still see this deformed face and it and it just looks it looks badass it looks really mm. cool especially like he's got these uh sort of ligature uh ligatures around his head like he's strapped in and having his brain enhanced or something you know, the, the thing the, the, the design yeah you, you the, the design is obviously like one of the things I always think of with Davros is like he I don't know how old he is. Like everything that's happened to him is an a, a sign of age. Like he has been around and may may been able to sustain himself. Like you know, that thing that he goes around in looks like the base of a Dalek. He's only got the use of one arm. 
uh, he's really sort of saying like you know he's decaying or like he's like you say it's you know um, uh, warped and everything. The chair itself is designed to hold him up. He's got metal straps coming over his shoulders and around his neck to hold his head up. Like he is trapped. And then you say that those those ligatures and those things around his head. The thing I love is they they all come into an eye. So he's blind, mm. but then he has his blue eye in the middle of his head that he then yeah. using as like a sensory device. I'm like, this is brilliant. Like it's such a well thought out. Like I believe, like you say, Davros has come back, and in New Who, I think even like a young Davros turned up at one point uh, as a child. I think the twelfth Doctor mm. sort of met him. But I'm like, yeah, I can see why. Like when they did this TV show, they were like, oh no, 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 he needs to come back. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a, an iconic looking character. Like whoever designed him, well done, because it's a really brilliant design. Well, and he's also played within an inch of his life. I mean, <laughs> yes. the, the, he is such a tyrannical Nazi, you know, fun, evil uh, arch tyrant. And even when he uh, seems to be totally at the mercy of others, he just sort of barks orders like yeah. this. Yeah, it's, it's very art. It's very wonderful to watch. Yeah, I, I do like that, that when he's not listening to him, he just shouts the order again louder, as if like, mm -hmm. which seems to be sort of like, I shall say it more angry and everyone shall obey. Um, yeah, like, it, I, I don't know who's playing him, but he... It, it, like you say, it's wonderfully played. Um, and uh, every time he's in the scene as well. Like again, the one thing, again, this goes back to technology and, and the way they've done it. Because when you see like this like um, <laughs> array of switches and buttons that he has on his uh, on his sort of travel device, this sort of this bottom half of the Dalek, you look at that and they're like, we are seriously high tech. We are a future you know we're a space race i've got this th series of three switches and all these buttons and it doesn't matter what i do they all do something different depending on the device the plot needs <laughs> yeah i mean my objection to that i mean i'm used to that with like uh, yeah they, they've changed them with like the remastered original star trek mm. but you see the the odometer you know, on the original Star Trek, where it's like there are wheels with numbers inside there, yeah. that that yeah. panel there. Um, so, I mean, I'm used to that. It bothers me more that he keeps going back to some of the same switches, and I'm like, <laughs> clearly that one was designed to move, and the other ones aren't. Well, it's it's uh, the the things I kind of like is that say even the doctor seems to pick up on it because at one point mm. he's like, I, I he figures out how his life support system works, mm. which again I love that he is vulnerable, like. You know, he is this sort of kind of vulnerable character, but also, like you say, this this terrible villain. However, th there's another button I just want to quickly mention, which I literally like, made me laugh out loud when I saw it. Later on, when you say they get to the finale and they have this, uh, this democratic vote that they're going to have about do they stop the Dalek program or not, and he says that like, if you join, you can you can choose to join me, and we will save our future race, or. I will press this button that says total destruction <laughs> and it will totally destroy everything other than this bunker. Um, and I love the fact that like you say that someone's gone to the pains of writing a panel that says total destruction <laughs> to go around this button. Like, that, you, yeah, you this, know. Is, this is one of my pet peeves. Um, yeah. 
you know, in sci-fi is that there's always like, well, you know, if you want to, if you want to blow up this unbelievably expensive space station <laughs> with all of these redundancies and we've got a whole separate button built for that. That's <laughs> got like, you know, uh, end cycle total destruction written on it or some bullshit. Yeah. Why do you have a dedicated button just for this? <laughs> like, it's I like always, all our lap. I'm looking at a laptop now, and I do see the blow up laptop button. Yeah, yeah. So button. Oh, that's useful. <laughs> Click. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the thing of you know. I always sort of see. You're right. It's in sci-fi. Like, at least one of the things it, you know we talk about sort of uh, correct. Like, at least with Star Wars, they always had like they had to give. Um, commands, you know, sort of like they had to give their, their number and all this other stuff. Like, I always preferred that, but then after all that, they still flip a switch, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do kind of love that when they're sort of like they have to go through all this hell, and it's really usually, it's usually really hard to get to the button, you know. Oh, you've got to get through right. the fire pits and the rotating cogs and all this other stuff. You know, like, what, why have you firstly, why have you got a button? <laughs> Secondly, why is it here? Well, we don't want everyone getting to it. You don't want anyone to get to it. Stop building it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that make that that did make me chuckle when I see the button that's a, and it's just it's just it's randomly on a panel. It, it's mm -hmm. not like it's hidden anywhere right. under under a glass case. Yeah. It's on the edge of a panel. Someone could put a glass on top of that and go, oh shit. <laughs> I hope they don't trip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> brace themselves against the to total <laughs> destruction button. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, well, it's a silly sci-fi trope. Um, it, it, but is, I, it is. I did want to say about Davros before we proceed. I mean, I love the design too, and you know, I'm I'm I have mixed I have mixed views about Davros. I'm happy when he shows up, mm. but I also have that little bit of like, yeah, the whole point of the Daleks is that they don't have a commander. I'm kind of okay with it in their genesis, but then he shows up again and again, and it's like the Borg Queen for me. <laughs> Well, no, let's let's actually let's discuss that because I think it does okay. it does need addressing. Well, before we move on from Davros, I think he he earns his place in this serial. You're right because he is their creator. Like mm -hmm. they have a, the, the the Dalek, um, um, the just creation serves a purpose. There is a notion that you know this planet or whatever it is, they're all being poisoned and they're all being mutated in some way anyway. So. This thing will save the future of the race. It'll be mm -hmm. some sort of like carry device so that the people can travel around. So it's there to serve a purpose. So they need to be invented, and then that that invention needs to be corrupted. And so Davros serves that corruption. And the finale, when he's sort of like, "No, we shall remove pity, and we shall remove this, and remove this other stuff." Like when that turns on him, and it's sort of like you know, oh, hoisted by my own petard. Damn it! Although it's a little bit obvious, it feels inevitable. Like, mm -hmm. and I know, like you said, they bring him back because he's a cool looking character. That that should be his end. Like yes, they, exactly. They, they turned on their creator, they destroyed their creator, but but they still went on to achieve his goals of like you know right. uh, intergalactic domination. Um, and that should be it. So you're right, I, but I I think he he's well suited and well versed or well placed here. But I completely understand what you're saying about him popping up again later on, because it sort of yeah. it sort of twists his purpose. Well, and you know, yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. I'm fine with him here. I think it works here. I like his ending here. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But, you know, he's just so memorable that you've got to bring him back. And I don't mind another serial where you travel back to, you know, pre the genesis of the Daleks. That's yeah. another prequel to the prequel. I'm fine with that. Um, but let this be his end. You know, he doesn't need to be commanding the Dalek fleet or some bullshit, you know. Yeah. Um, he is, this is tied to the creation of that machine-like efficiency mm. And even though that's based on the Nazis having a Hitler figure, you know, who ironically is a scientist, right? He's yeah. smart. Hitler was mm. not smart. Um, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I think he works here. I like the ending here. I just, he needs to be confined to that setting and let the Daleks yeah. be the Daleks and let Davros be Davros. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I, I absolutely uh, 100% agree. I, you know, like you say, when he turns up, you do get that, oh, that's kind of cool. But yeah, yeah. It, it it doesn't always work. Um, I do have it. There was a story later on, which sort of like is the ending of this, and I can't remember which Doctor it was with. It may have been the Twelfth Doctor, actually. It may actually be the story I'm thinking about. I have to go find it out. Where you find out it's it was all twisted. He's actually been a prisoner of the Daleks and all this other stuff. And so I think they they almost try and rectify this thing of him popping up again and again. So. Uh, that I think that might be worth looking at, but um, yeah, but I do like him in this, and I think it works. This idea. One question though, and this is this is a sort of a side point. So this idea that they're all going to become because you've got the mutos as they call them, this, this sort of mutated race or this mutated sort of selection of society. Everyone else seems pretty fine. Mm-hmm. So how how quickly is this mutation supposed to happen that they're having to build these travel devices, yeah. the, the, the Dalek like, casings? Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. Um, no. And in the original Dalek serial, it's more clear that this is a sort of like irradiated, messed up planet due to yeah. these wars, right? Um, there's been a sort of nuclear exchange, you know, they're traveling through toxic swamps. They still don't look mutated, except for the people who do. Mm. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, I agree with you. And the other thing that's strange is, like, the the very facehugger-like aliens that, that are inside the Daleks, this, you know, everybody just accepts that they're the future of yeah. their race. Yeah. It's like, you know, if... If you said to a human, like, look, um, climate change is happening. This is going to get a lot worse. A lot of animals are going to go extinct. Humans are not built for this. This weird, gross squid thing is what we're going to evolve into. So let's just put all our eggs in that basket. I think most humans would be like, uh-uh, I am not turning into a squid. <laughs> you know, we are not. That is not us. Well, it's, what's interesting about that is... You know, everyone seems to agree, and um, sorry, everyone seems to agree with that analysis that this is our future. Therefore, we're having this path. But it all seems to be like you say, this all-knowing Davros has sort of um, laid out this path, and there's hints. Well, there's hints. There's there's obvious moments early on when they talk about you know, well, Davros says that there's no life beyond this planet, and Davros is never wrong. And then, like the doctor, you know, this is, he says, "Well, there's life beyond that galaxy, and so on." And they obviously identify he has two hearts and everything, so so on and so forth. Um, and so, 
it feels to me like maybe you know it may not be what they're turning into. Yeah, but that yeah, whole it thing is sort of ambiguous, right? Yeah, like um, Davros has gone. Davros this is... has done this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he could have just made know, this shit up. Thought this was the ideal organism, right? Uh, yeah, and it clearly has. You know, you would assume it has some of their DNA, mm. but I mean, he is creating a new organism. And right, I mean, how quickly would one species turn into the other? Yeah. Um, especially given how different they are. Yeah, it's very, it's very bizarre. But yeah, I like it, that. I like that everybody's like, okay, Davros has created these squid things, and then he's going to further change them so that they don't have our concept of good and evil. Yeah. That's a bridge too far. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's one of the things. Again, it's, it's this weird. And this is and this is why I think this this uh, this series is good, is because you have this sort of like, uh, let's call it an ideology, a nationalism, right, a, a race based nationalism, which is, is the other thing that, that sort of like bothers me a little bit like this because, and uh, maybe it's a satire, I don't know, but they're like you know we are one of these races has to survive the Thals of the Kellids, and I'm going like, you're all from Kent. You're all you're all British and you're all from the Southern Counties. Like I don't see any difference in accent <laughs> or anything in this. Um, but um, yeah, there that's is an oddity one. of Doctor Who in general, right? Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. That the the known universe <laughs> is very white and has very British accents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all speak the Queen's English on Saturn Scarrow. Um, <laughs> But one one of the things that like uh, I do like is the fact that you have this sort of um, societal sort of nationalism. So we are the Thals, we are the Khaleds, and we will do whatever we need to do to make this our race or our society survive. And that's what's driving these terrible acts, like the building of the bomb or the Daleks or whatever. So there's this like there's this war mentality that we have to survive. And so you get this you never you never see the wider population of either thing this is that's for obvious reasons and that's fine but when you get down below that i like that some of the people aren't that black and white so you get the characters not not you get the villain like like say davros is sort of like number two that's clearly there as just being sort of like the second panto villa the goebbels if you will of the whole situation but you do meet these other characters that aren't as black and white they're like oh, we have to do this we have to survive that's what we've been fighting for a thousand years not sure what over but we have to survive but below that like the the goody Khaled at one point well, you, you're right he talks about this mutation he says well then they, they need compassion they need morality and to understand our you know attributes of right and wrong and i'm going like, you want to wipe out an entire race <laughs> But on an individual level, you still have this idea of morality, and I kind of I found that really interesting. This di- differentiation between an individual and a sort of an ideology. Yeah, that speech sort of bothers me, um, mm. and 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 for some of the reasons that that you're mentioning. I mean, he talks about the the importance of you know like having your own judgment, capable of doing evil and capable of doing good, and I think. Right. What good have you done? And if this is the society that's been created, this is a great argument for a clockwork orange. You know, Hmm. I mean, we're not that far away. Um, You know, changing what humans are capable of so they're not capable of, uh, say, brutalizing their fellows 
would probably be a good change. Mm. Um, you know, why is it that, you know, it's like it's like the objection isn't that compassion is necessary. The objection is, well, you, we just don't want to change because we're doing so well. We want this yeah. sloppy thing that's destroyed our planet. I mean, it seems this sort of like old fashioned appeal to, well, golly gee, we got to have, you know, the good to have the bad. And you're like, right. The oceans are overflowing. Florida is going to be underwater in a few years. Keep talking about that. Well, that, that, that's what you just said there. Does bother me. A little. You, the, the point you made that you've got to have the good. You've got to have the bad to have the good. Because the doctor, and that's clearly because that's clearly what this this episode, this serial is trying to explore. Because the doctor has a similar thing. Like he has the opportunity to use explosives to to kill off the mutated Dalek spawn, whatever they are. And he's about to touch it, and he's like, "Well, do I have the right to wipe out a species?" And Sarah Jane's completely right. She's like, "Yes, yes, you <laughs> bloody do, because they yes. will conflict all this out, this pain, this death and destruction across the galaxy for the next millennia." You could stop all that right now. He's like, yeah, but out of that comes um, alliances and exploration and technology. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But so does billions of so does billions of deaths. So does the destruction of planets. Like you know, like I'm pretty sure that you know that's not a, a scale that you can balance. Yeah, that whole argument bothers me, too. Um, mm. So, I mean, I like that. I, I will say I like that he has to debate committing genocide because we've seen yeah. in the Macro Terror and we've seen in the recent Flux season, the doctor perfectly willing to commit genocide. Yeah. Yeah. Here we're at the height of the old Doctor Who series, as far as most fans are concerned. And now we have a much more recognizably moral doctor yes. who is aware and that he is debating genocide. And kudos to the show for at least mm. being aware of this now and making that a plot point. Having said that, that whole, you know, we need to be good and bad sort of argument. If that's an argument against the evil of the Daleks, it's also an argument against a utopian enterprise, right? Yeah. You know, hey, we're just sloppy. We're going to kill and rape our neighbor. And we're also going to go to the moon. And you got to have both, buddy. No, not really. Yeah. Um, and the same thing that you're pointing out, I agree with you 100%. It's like, right, Hitler united the rest of Europe. Okay. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that it was a good thing. Mm -hmm. How many species has the, doc ha has the Daleks wiped out and committed genocide against? Why are you even debating this? Blow them up and go to therapy later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're right because again, like this, this, I, I agree. The fact that they are willing to sort of have this in the episode, it, it, although it's a little messy, is good. And it's one of the reasons I actually like this serial because they are willing to sort of like have those debates. And the Doctor is actually shown to be a bit more um, thoughtful. Like this is actually this isn't just your action. You know, I know Venusian Kung Fu um, doctor. You know, this isn't all, you know, I'm going to play a flute and I like, say wipe out a, crab, a race of crab people. No, like, I'm going to actually consider the implications of this. Because, again, one of the things that, this, that the doctor is, is obviously uh, battling with, and this, again, comes with timey-wimey stuff, so it's all, you know, let's not debate time travel again. But 
he is he is saying like, well, if I do this though, like the known course of history changes. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing is like, you know, do I have the right to do that? You know, this one act could fundamentally change the course of you know of history for the, the galaxy for the you know intergalactic uh planets. That's good, but it's you know, do I have the right in this moment to do that? And so I like the fact that you're right, he, he takes that time to consider it. However, the conclusion should be yes, this is a good thing to do. <laughs> um, but I, I'm interested in the question that he puts to Sarah Jane, and he says, and it's clear who he's alluding to if you were offered the opportunity to kill a child, if you were told that that child was going to grow to be ultimately evil and commit only evil acts, could you kill that child? I think Sarah Jane's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just bottle him in the face and get on with it. But like, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, and again, it's clear that it's that debate about if you could go back and kill Hitler, could you? Um, and again, so I, I, I actually approve that it's it's in there. It's an interesting yeah. question. I like that debate. I mean, the answer is clearly yes. Kill Hitler. <laughs> Snuff that baby. I'm taking a pillow to his crib tomorrow if I can. Um, absolutely. And again, I'm not saying there isn't a moral remainder from that, mm. but go to therapy later. Right. It's like right now I'm dealing with the traffic accident. I've got to get these people to safety. Uh, you know, whether I cut them out of their car and, you know, violated their their bodily autonomy or something, <laughs> that's a debate for another day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so you're right. I like all of this. I, I mean, I, it's definitely showing a progression. I like that, you know, the baby Hitler debate. On the other hand, you and I both agree with Sarah Jane. And the one thing, the one line that I think is sort of over the top or is as the doctor's holding the wires and he says, you know, this will make me just like them. And I, I hate this. I hate, you know, it's like Batman says, well, if I kill the Joker, then he wins. I'm just like him. No, he's <laughs> gone around and committed mass murders. Yeah. You know, you're not just like him, brother. If you go back in time and kill baby Hitler, that doesn't make you as bad as Hitler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things, and again, and I, 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 I'm doing it again, so sorry. <laughs> oh, rewriting. <laughs> yeah, and I know, I know it's easy, and I know it shouldn't happen. You know, I it's just what I do. So again, to all to anyone that listens is sick of me doing this. Sorry, it's a it's a reflex. It's there's a muscle inside me that does it. The debate shouldn't be about destruction. It should be an option. But I think the reason the doctor should stop isn't I don't have the right. It should be. I have an opportunity at this early point to intercede. Like they, they are based on programming. Mm. They mm-hmm. don't have to be a source of consciousness. Un- yeah, they don't have to be a source of untapped evil. Right. Davros is the problem. We have to stop Davros. We could actually turn, change the course of history and turn these so that they actually go out and, you know, give out intergalactic hugs. I don't know, but. <laughs> That should that should be the, the debate of like actually, there's no need to kill right now. Mm-hmm. I think we can we can change their future. It, yeah. Ultimately, he needs to fail, but that should be the mission that he's on. Instead of killing, 
you know, that's the doctor to me. That's what the, the doctor, and I think that's realizing a few later doctors, but. That's a very good point. And I, and I think if you look at the structure of the episodes, the doctor is set up from this mysterious time Lord, you know, mm. in the beginning to he's given this mission of stopping the Daleks, right? By, by basically any means necessary. That then becomes psychologically, mentally for the narrative, for the screenwriters, the mission of the doctor that then yeah. succeeds or fails. What's interesting is in this, you know, by the time you're in the sixth episode, the rest of the Kalids are focused on exactly what you're saying, yeah. right? We accept that this, this is the future of our race, our species, but you have altered it in a way that makes it a force for evil, mm. and we don't accept that. The Doctor never really gets there. No. Um, and you're right that if he did get there and get there you know, earlier on, he could say, Davros, you have done an amazing thing. You've created a new species. Mm. Uh, they are tremendously effective. On the other hand, you have artificially changed that species in a way that will cause all of this destruction. Yes. And, you know, let the mutant squids be the mutant squids. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's where the you know there is a debate to have in that sort of like what could you know it's obviously Davros is evil. There's no doubt about it. Like, you know, it's this thing about survival. He talks about them, even talks about like the master race and you know, blah blah blah. And uh, but there should be this thing about what is your legacy? You know, your legacy is one of death. And at the moment, your legacy will be one of death and destruction and so on and so forth. It could be one of unity and all this other stuff. Um so yeah, it's an interesting one that, like you say, the people of Khalid seem to get there before the Doctor does. Yeah, and I, so, but I think you make a very good point, which is that should be the the Doctor's motivation. He should see that kind of out, um, and um, he he doesn't. But other characters do, and I think mm. that's maybe a process of the process of, of writing it. What do you make, having said that about you know Davros and his motivation? There is that very telling sequence in which he's asked if you could release a, a disease that would destroy all life in the universe. And, and he sort of, I would have that power mm. my with a flick of my finger. You know, I could cause such. A, there is this sort of like idea that he's really ultimately a narcissist. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree with that. I mean, he, he says at it like he would accept his own death in order for this microscopic being to be the ultimate or the, you know, to be the only uh, existing organism in the universe, you know, living supreme in the universe. Um, I would have created that and to have had that power. It's an, in, yeah, it's really interesting because it's sort of like, you know, well, you'd be dead. Um, everybody else would be dead no one would remember you or would be there to celebrate <laughs> this thing so it seems a bit pointless but it's about power isn't it it's about ultimate power uh this idea of you know you you often hear in films about this idea of having life and death over an individual like oh i've got the power of life and death over you or whatever but this is like the doctor saying you know pronouncing this thing this would wipe out everything and so he has ultimate life and power of life and death over the universe and yeah it it, it, it tantalizes him it sort of is it gives him almost like a sexual thrill like, oh, no, yeah, yes great 
Um, and so I, I did find that really interesting because that does set him up as like he's not rede- he's irredeemable. There yeah. is no point. There isn't. There is no point of of like um, negotiating with Davros. He's not there to to debate his legacy. He is only there to be like, no, I w- I want to destroy everything, and that's it. That's my objective. That's it. Like he's not there to be uh, to, to debate or discuss it. Um, yeah, and it seems like he does get his wish in a way. Maybe not all really? life in the universe, but I mean. But then I wonder, why is he then, you know, he clearly is so narcissistic. He wants to survive at the end. I mean, he does not want the Daleks to kill him. He gets his comeuppance. I mean, I'm happy with it. You're happy with it, too. But he still has that urge to survive. Mm. He doesn't have a moment where he says, I have accomplished a great thing and galaxies will burn because of what I have created. Yeah, it, it's almost like really short-sighted, isn't it? <laughs> Ultimately, because he won't be. Well, although I don't know, he believes he will be there to see it. Mm. Like, um, I wondered if, because at one point I wondered if his deformity was caused by these mutations. If he was sort of like an advanced version, form of this mutation, and that's what's driven him down this path, maybe then I'd be more like he he sees himself akin to the Daleks, and they'd be like, no, 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 you are inferior to us, you know, which is ultimately what it is. But I, I, I um, you know, it'd that's be nice. It makes it. I was a point going to make this point earlier about Davros, right? That he, there is a social argument to be run. I mean, if, if you run, if, if you make points about, you know, rewriting the story, which I, I think are quite good points, I make these sort of social points. Um, there is always a problem with the handicapped character is the character evil. of unbelievably evil. Yeah. And it, as if, like, his deformity or his scars or his age or whatever uh, has made him willing to accept uh, human deaths in a way that um, doesn't make sense. And I do think that it's tied to, I mean, what you say, I don't know if it's literally true that he has done these experiments on himself, Mm. but it does seem that his physical appearance being seen as, as ugly or handicapped does seem tied to his acceptance of these squid beings, these things as the future. Yeah, it seems tied to it. And this is one of the things. Although, although this is called the Genesis of the Daleks, like it leaves quite a bit still ambiguous. Like we know what Davros's objective is, but we're never entirely sure what his motivator is. Um, just that he wants to do it at any cost. Like he will literally like manipulate and destroy his own people in order to get his own um, to get his own ends. But yeah, da- Davros still remains a little bit of a mystery in this um, story because, it, because it's quite interesting because they are that what they're trying to do is they're going to tell you the story of like this is how the Daleks came into being. We don't need you know you don't need to know you don't need to know about Victor Frankenstein. You want to know about Frankenstein's monster, and we're going like you know. But in a modern, if this was again it was a new Who or modern storytelling, you'd be like, no, no, no. We want to know about the creator. 
mm. and then you know how his motivations have drove him to do this creation and there's less about that with davros it's just like he's evil and he is deformed therefore you know he is ultimately the baddie yeah and and you do see we've seen doctor who evolve a lot mm. from the beginning to now but there is still this sense of like you know yes this is very dark for a, a children's program but on the other hand the primary goal at least at this point once they drop those marco polo educational the aztecs yeah. you know stuff the point is to entertain yes and it is perfectly fine uh especially if that's your goal to say hey we're going to show you the scientist who created the the daleks mm. and he's going to be a baddie bad hitler type <laughs> uh but he's going to be so much fun to watch and i think that's fine and they succeed yeah, yeah. on that level oh, yes. but you're right there are other deeper ways of taking it that are closed off yeah and you know like you say um you know again you're right though that that's not the intent of this show this is it's a show to you know this is a serial like it has to end on a cliff each episode has to end on a cliffhanger you know it's designed to be action this is now more close to being action adventure um we have a more thoughtful doctor but he's still sort of like you know man of action kind of thing it's still that um adventure tv show and so yeah that's the point you know and this is more like you say for, as we've said before this brilliantly does it brilliantly this is to introduce the daleks as a menace as a real threat and and that's the objective and it does it very very well however like you say it would be it would have been nice to sort of in a conversation get more about davros of where he came from um which i think would have been more interesting well, and, and, you know, in part, perhaps it's that lack that makes people want to bring him back, not just mm. that he's memorable, but that I think this is fascinating when you think about fiction and you think about the way in which fictions fail. We often want to bring back like Dr. Doom because he's so two dimensional and it's like, mm. yeah, I'm going to write him, but really give him a motivation. And yet, you know, if you see, I don't know, you know, nobody watches Citizen Kane and is like. I, I want to bring Citizen Kane back, you know, if it was only Charles Foster Kane, what would he do in the 90s? You know, he could have been frozen cryogenically like Walt Disney was supposed to be. Well, no, we know who he is. That movie's closed. There is this weird way in which the unsatisfying nature of something that's also really satisfying in other ways makes us want to either, you know, ultimately rewrite it. But the way we re rewrite it is by bringing him back and starting to answer these questions. And then we resent that. If he's well, it's this, yeah. this becomes that difference, doesn't it, between head canon and canon. And I, I literally listened to a podcast recently, uh, Imaginary Worlds, if anyone, you know, highly recommend it, fantastic podcast, that, that had this debate that was, you know, you have these scenarios where there's a character that may fall out of a plot or has a demise or whatever, or but you know Boba Fett is a good example from the Star Wars universe of like he's in it for whatever purpose he dies like a bit of a chump, but for some reason he everyone's like he's really cool and mysterious and we want to know more. So there was you know people had this head cannon or whatever what they thought of him and then they were like but now we have well before we have the Boba Fett show but that's like the ultimate version of it but they had all the, the novels and the extended universe and it sort of it drove these ideas out. And that's what happens because in, in the same with Doctor Who, they bring him back because they want to explore. The same with the Master. Like the Master's another example where like this is the version we've got, their childhood friends. What does that mean? 
how is that relationship work between the master and the doctor? So they keep trying to explore it in different ways. And I, and I kind of like it at times. And then there's other times when it's a bit like it's overkill. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I just find it fascinating that flaws sort of spur our imagination in ways that not perfection, but something that is answered satisfactorily doesn't. Um, well, if, do, do you think this comes? There's a point here that I'm interested in. Because it's always villains more so than, you know, heroes or, or, or goodies. We always want to bring villains back. Now, ultimately, unfortunately, it seems to, and there's, there's, there's a few that this can never happen for. If you go back far enough, you end up having or having to have the sympathetic villain origin story. Um, the killing joke. Um, Victor Freeze and his wife, you know, from... Um, the, the Batman the animated series or whatever, like you can always go back and find that there's, there's that sympathetic villain, you know, origin story. And people think it's sort of like, oh, well, we're giving them, you know, two dimensions. We're giving them whatever. And unfortunately, it, it sometimes like I say it just doesn't need to happen. Like I just want Hannibal Lecter. I don't need to know that Hannibal Lecter was driven to cannibalism because of whatever. Like, no, he's just a brilliant man. Who's has this psychosis. That's it. Um, that's you know it's just sometimes with villains the more you give them the less they are um, and I fear that would be the same with Davros like you know you go back far enough you're just like all oh, right okay well that's why but it well it I mean I think them. the problem is that we feel like nobody sees themselves as a villain right and yeah. so if we are going to dramatize more about that villain and show where they came from we don't want um somebody to just say you know what i'm gonna be the biggest asshole i can yeah. probably nobody has said that and so well, I, mean, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay i mean you know i did a, a few contacts but um yeah i mean i do think that there is this desire to humanize mm -hmm. and, and that's probably a good thing socially but Part of, I mean, this might be again sort of a situation where what we like in fiction goes against our own, you know, politics and what we want to be socially yeah. out there. But it's fun watching just a baddie bat, you know, it's fun watching, you know, somebody twirl their mustache and, you know, say, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I like them that they're driven by greed or, or, you know, some base instinct, like, you know, um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I like like you say Davros being this. I wouldn't say mustache twirling, but this deformed sort of like villain pantomime villain almost. Like I enjoy him because he is that. And there are questions, but like I don't want all of them answered because I like to have my own headcanon of like oh this is what and it works for that. Um, but yeah, you're right. That whole species, the whole speech he gives about the disease is actually really good. You know, I actually really enjoyed that because that's proper like arch villain kind of territory that is. <laughs> um, and I'm sure whoever I can't I'll say, you know, apologies not for naming the actor. I'm sure there's people that shout and ask for it, but he does a great job in that moment. Like, and he clearly is reveling in it as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, amen. And speaking of disease, that's also brought up by Sarah Jane, where mm. you know she says, "Well, if this were a disease, if this were a virus that you're exterminating," and I thought, "Oh, they're working against their point." I mean, you and I mm. still think it's the right thing to do to to kill the Daleks in the crib, 
but I mean, given that if that's your choice, right, you can't reprogram them. But the comparison of living beings to a virus goes back to obviously macro terror and Hitler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that should be a giant red klaxon going off right, for the yeah. viewer. Yeah, it's an interesting one that, like you say, they've worked hard in this, I think, to try and sort of create a theme and stuff, but it still sort of stumbles over itself at times. Um, but I think one of the things that comes out of this is that this is quite a complex argument. You know, like you say, it's it's in theory, it's always going to be, you know, yes, I would of course do this, but in practice, it's that thing of, again, like, well, can I, should I, can I change things a different way? Um, what's nature, what's nurture, those sorts of things. Um, yeah, I don't know, the Daleks need, to, you know, this, the Daleks aren't, redeemable you don't want the redeemed daleks do you that's not the point but um i like i like the fact that again like i said that they try to have that debate and they get as, a, as an audience member they're sort of saying to you you know do you have the right you know what they're getting at like it's not it's not subtle um the the world war ii uh parallels are, are obvious <laughs> throughout um but yes but one of the things i wanted to get to because we've talked about sort of the doctor in this debate but you also mentioned this is sort of considered by many to be the height of the sort of the doctor what are your thoughts then on tom baker as the doctor well that's an interesting question um i think he's kind of overrated um mm. you know he shows up on everybody's list as you know the best of the classic years and there are, i you know you might disagree um, you know, usually when people disagree, it's who they encounter first. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, but I, to me, I always struggle with the sillier aspects and most Tom Baker serials, he still is, you know, a prime mover, but he's not so much a man of action. Um, there is a shot in this where he's being escorted around and you really see that scarf dragging on the floor. And I think you're going to trip over <laughs> yeah. that body. This yeah. is ridiculous. And it's yeah. funny when he has to empty out his pockets and more and more stuff keeps coming out. Yeah. Uh, that's a sort of classic Tom Baker moment. And I like this stuff, but I think that Dr. Who always has a, there's a thin line between Dr. Who as a competent alien who, you know, should be, um, if not serious, at least very capable. And Doctor Who as a sort of comic relief character or a mm. silly alien who just is a little flippant compared to how a human would be in that position for whether that's due to having become mature enough to be silly or just a difference in physiology or personality. I think there's always a fine line between the two and there are scenes and there are doctors that sort of go over that line too much for mm. me. And I think that I don't object to a doctor being too serious, but I do sort of, you know, I mean, he doesn't use the jelly belly in this. I can't stand the jelly belly. You know, every time he pulls out a jelly belly, I'm like, okay, I get it. You're, you're, you're quirky. Oh no. Yeah. Jelly baby. They're called jelly, jelly baby. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a British that, thing. It is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're a bit uh, another thing. They're a little bit marmite. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Um, that's a quirk too far. I agree. That's sort of like 
um I, I always find things like that like a forced catchphrase you know some things catch on and become a catchphrase other things are sort of like constantly like oh they're still doing that thing as if like it's gonna you know really catch on um yeah he's interesting uh tom baker because he has that sort of like manic look um you know the big toothy grin the big eyes and sort of the the big hair and he looks. He's a. I mean, he's a tall guy as well. Like this guy's well over six foot. He's quite, you know, um, obviously intimidating. But like he obviously, you know, he's got a screen presence because he's obviously so big and he's got a lot of energy. But he never carries. One of the things that sort of like I um, to compare him to the other some of the other doctors, and we'll get to some of the later ones as well. Like, I feel that Tom Baker's a turning point mm-hmm. is the first thing to eccentricity um over sort of certain things like you know, eccentricity becomes a character trait to you know well this one does cricket and where's celery you know that sort of thing yes um and so it, it, the scarf the jelly babies and, and and other things one of the things i sort of i find interesting that sort of is, is sort of developing with the doctor and is, is a big part of new who is this sort of like the manic comic relief but then the under the darker undertones um and you sort of get that a little bit i mean like, again you said about like sort of like who you first come across like i first came across sylvester mccoy that was my first doctor and so that idea of having a slightly darker side mm. was a part of what i expected and it's sort of having watched other tom baker i've probably watched more tom baker than um the previous doctors we've talked about and so it's hinted at every now and then as that sort of temper will come out. And then so, but in this episode in particular, like in this story, you think, oh, that's something they're going to touch on. This is one where that frustration or those those instances where he's seen the Daleks kill these people is going to come out. Like this confrontation with Davros should be fiery. Mm. And it never sort of feels like that. And I feel that's a bit of a disappointment. It always flippant is actually a very good good word to describe how he sort of comes across in some of this. And he gives in relatively easily. Like his companion being hurt, and he's like, All right, I'll tell you everything the dialects have ever done, and so you can record it. And I think like there's there's a there'd be later doctors that would be like, You've been my companion, and you know, I have feelings for you, but I can't. I've got to sacrifice you for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Well, um, at least have a debate. I mean, at least yes. sort of struggle with it more is really the companion there who says, you know, don't do it, doctor. Mm. Yeah, yeah. doctor's like, no, 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 no. I, I shall tell them everything and they shall record it. Yeah, um, it's funny because when you watch documentaries about Doctor Who, they always talk about, sort of this slow evolution of silliness of that eccentricity mm. and they go back to the second doctor um as sort of injecting mm. that levity and every time you get to a sort of more silly doctor that or a doctor who had some eccentricity the discussion is like oh well he's the one who invented it right and injected the doctor. and so it's very hard to trace like you know where these specific traits come from I mean, I, this, you know, probably Baker, you know, Tom Baker was my first 
doctor mm. in the sense that he was the one whose reruns, uh, reruns uh, were running on the uh, PBS uh, when I first watched Doctor Who as a kid. So I remember Tom Baker, but I never, I, he's grown on me. And I think he's better in this episode. You're right. He mm. doesn't get fiery. He doesn't get angry enough. There's always that problem that I feel with Doctor Who of like, I don't believe this guy's an alien. He's clearly just a an eccentric Brit, you know. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and, and part of that is maybe bias. I mean, I'm sure that you know, if you're Greek and you're looking at an American broadcast and you're like, that's just a rich American white dude, you know. <laughs> I don't believe he's from planet K eighty six nine, but so some of that might be might be that. But I do think that he works better in this serial. And mm. I like him better in this in part because it's so dark and he's contemplating genocide and he sort of has to pull back from that. Mm. Um, and I think Baker can do that. That manic energy comes out where I think a lot of his other serials, he's kind of just wandering from one thing to the next uh, and, and never seems to appear threatening at, at all. It just mm. seems to be like, yeah, well, we should do that and hope you don't die. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit, an example of that is, uh, and again, this is an interesting pacing choice. You, the scene we talked about very early on about um, Sarah Jane being pushed off the top of that rocket, and they grab his, the, they grab her arm, which is 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 traumatizing, really. I mean, it, to me, I was like, bloody hell, they go in there. That's pushing it. It's then very quickly followed by the Doctor and Harry walking through so, some under, underground cave. And Harry's bitten by a large oyster-looking thing. And and then the doctor has to hit it with a rock. And I'm just like, this looks crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've just had a really sort of intense moment, um, you know, where Sarah Jane has sort of almost been dropped off a scaffold in like 100 feet up. And now your other companion's being chewed on by a... What is tantamount to a Muppet. Mm. And it doesn't look great. And then, like you say, the doctor hits him with the rock and then gets the stalactite and starts sort of trying to open it. And it, it's that thing again where it's sort of like, it doesn't, it's like the, there's darkness and there's action and stuff going on. And it, it, although it's good in a lot of it, there's other moments when I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this doesn't, this doesn't feel in tone with the rest of this show. Um, and so it's it's um, yeah, which I think obviously is it's still going to be, it's still going to show monsters, it's still going to show these alien things, and that's sort of the point. But like, yeah, those, those clamshell things are, are, are not good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you, and and I think that I sort of like Dark Doctor Who. I mean, to mm. me, when I think of, it's not that there aren't comedic episodes that I enjoy. And, or, and comedic bits, right? I mean, nothing is mm. pure tragedy or comedy. But I like Doctor Who as an adult show. Um, I like Star Trek as an adult show. Um, I'm not saying, you know, these shows have to depict faces melting and, mm. you know, uh, all kinds of adult traumas. But I do like when people die. I do like when, you know, if you're facing, uh, you know, the Daleks, it's not going to be pretty. And just having the screen flash white and seeing somebody fall from a distance doesn't quite do it for me. That's somebody's, you know, mother, son, or daughter. Yeah. So I do like the Dark 
dark Doctor Who, but it, it does seem at this point that like this is such a dark serial, and yet it does have those elements, like you say, of the oyster. I always come back to I like this much more this time through. Having seen it before, the thing that has stuck with me so much more than any other aspect of the plot is Sarah Jane falling in that terrible yeah. cliffhanger in that missile silo where like, yeah, it's a good set, but like, I don't, there's too much with the missiles back and forth. It's like, get back to Davros, get back to, mm -hmm. you know, the, this dark stuff that's working. And in fact, this time through that whole oyster scene, I thought I'm missing something. This is connected <laughs> to, yeah. you know, those, those mutants that power the Daleks. No, it's just a random thing. Well, they guess. They keep guessing. Oh, these could be some. Of, these could be some of Davros's pets. <laughs> you go, or it, it could just be a an inhabitant of Scarrow. Like I don't know. Like it's it's irrelevant. It's a, it's a it's a device. Um, what I would say is though, to differentiate, and you say about tone and stuff. The whole thing with Sarah Jane. And I will just I will sort of just circle around on this because it did it bothered me. Her whole escape. You're right. It goes on a little bit long, and they obviously use it as the cliffhanger. And the cliffhanger. Whenever, whenever the companion or the doctor is in a scenario, it's the Batman sixty six thing again, isn't it? Like, whenever the doctor or the companion is in a scenario where they're there, oh my god, they've fallen off something, or oh my god, they're being electrocuted, or whatever. I know it's going to be resolved within the thir first thirty seconds of the next episode, and they're not really in threat, you know, not really in danger. So, but it looks okay. However. She sees the thing I would say is she witnesses people being shot at. Like she is being shot at as she's climbing that scaffolding, mm -hmm. and there are people that she makes friends with a coloured like soldier who's also being used as slave labour, and he's just killed offhand. Like he helps her, he stops her from falling mm -hmm. at one point, and then he's shot and falls, and you see him hit the floor, um, and then like they climb up, and there's the whole bit with the two soldiers, and all I can think of is. Harry's when they get back to the TARDIS, Harry's going to be like, I, I almost had my leg bitten off by a, a giant clamshell. That's crazy. And she's like, yeah, I have a phobia of heights. Um, I'm now suffering from PTSD. So if anyone ever like, you know, like you, you know, we talked about this before, like, you know, like, so, something goes off in the TARDIS. She thinks she's being shot at. She's hitting the floor. Oh. Like she is, like, I would like, and I, I kind of like uh, Elizabeth Sladen in this role. Like mm. she's she plays it sort of like she's kind of cute and sort of you know innocent and young and but she gets put through some stuff in this episode where I'm like yeah she needs some time off from the TARDIS after this like she's gonna get her shit together like she's not gonna be doing well after this yeah don't forget she's been tortured she's yeah. had to think about the extermination of a vast portion of the galaxy <laughs> you know and advocate for genocide I mean well, yeah, well, there's gonna yeah. be some PTSD. Yeah, at one point she thinks that her death is going to come at the at the hands of a, a giant rocket that's going to incinerate her. Like, mm. yeah, like she does not come out of this like you know psychologically unscarred. Um, yeah, and it would be fun to sort of have the sort of next generation family episode after this. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course you couldn't in those days when everything was yeah. so serialized. But um, you know, I mean, that is another thing that I that I sort of object to about this. I I love this serious Doctor Who, and I and I I always feel like Doctor Who is a show. All right, well, Star Trek I love. Okay, mm. some Star Trek is totally daft, 
and some yeah. Star Trek is so good, right? Mm. And you just kind of accept the good stuff with the bad. Doctor Who is a different sort of beast. And Doctor Who yeah. is sort of like always good enough and fascinating enough. And this is not as true. There are some solidly amazing episodes of, of mm. the Five show. But Doctor Who is often good enough that I want it to be re rewritten and done better, right? Like yeah. a more adult, better yeah. budgeted, you know, extra couple drafts of that script. This would be amazing. And I'd be like the biggest... But it's like it's just good enough that I'm a big fan, but I always want it to be something a little different. And part mm -hmm. of what I want it to be is a little more adult, a little more of the tone of this serial versus others. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I completely get that. Like, you know, this flashes of it when you're just like even with the doctor. Um, and I see it, I see it in this. There are, you said the debates and the discussions and there's things going on where you go. They're really pushing the boundaries of this, like you know, and I'm pretty sure I get a feeling that they've done stuff. And actually, on the DVD, and I haven't watched it, there's a making of, and so I'm quite intrigued about a couple of things. Where I'm like, like you said, there's that shot at the end when the, all the um, the Khalids have been killed and they're just lying across the floor and stuff. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure someone at the BBC must have had something to say about this. Like, this is going out at like seven o'clock on a Sunday evening or whatever. Like, someone must have said, um. Can we not focus on the dead bodies as much? Can we pull back? I don't know. Like it, it feels like they've pushed the boundaries a lot on this one, and that's cool. And I like the fact they've done that. Um, however, I would say talking about Sarah Jane, because she has put through some stuff in other episodes as well that I've watched. There was a there's an episode in New Who with David Tennant called Reunion, where she obviously they bring her back, and she went to ha went on to have a spin off show. Um, where she, I think she's a teacher or whatever, and there's a bunch of kids in it and all this other stuff. Sarah Jane Adventures, right? It's called the Sarah Jane Adventures. And again, I watched some of that. It's very kid for it focused. It's quite good uh, in other bits and pieces. Anyway, the fact that she's sort of like, yes, let those adventures continue. We should be doing this and that. And I, I, for her, I want the hard hitting one where it turns out like there's that reunion episode where like the doctor finds her and she's like an alcoholic. You know, she, she's had like a, a litany of failed relationships behind her. Um, mm. You know, she has nightmares continually. She's, you know, and she's like, oh, no, no, doctor, you like, you know, and she's going to Rose, like, you know, no, leave, mm. leave now because he will leave you a broken shell. <laughs> well, I, I love this. And this is something that the new who part of the genius of uh, of Davies, who all mm. praise his virtues in Doctor Who to no end, part of the genius of Davies was focusing on exactly this dimension with a companion who mm. really were disposable characters. Yeah. Um, even Sarah Jane, who had her own fans at conventions and stuff like that, I mean, she just leaves and mm. nobody talks to her again. I mean, there's that canine spinoff show. I've seen it. Um, but <laughs> For you. <laughs> No, I mean it's it's not the worst episode of Doctor Who no, I've no, ever no. seen. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I do love K nine, um, even though it's a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's cool. It's better than watching. What am I going to do with my time? Watch the A team. Um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, the the companions were always disposable, and you do see, especially in the early Davies stuff, this sense of the toll that it takes. And mm. I always. And, and then they sort of revert back to form. But I always 
love this idea of what you're talking about. Like I know about alien civilizations. I can't go back to normal life. And especially given, even if somebody doesn't have male or female, doesn't have a uh, flirtation with the doctor or sexual fantasies about the doctor, how the hell are you going to find somebody if you if you want to be with somebody who you look up to when you know you've been cavorting around the universe with the doctor right after you've been to uh you know mars uh sixth in the year 6000 how are you going to go back to the farm yeah exactly i think that's the you know it's it's not it's what is it's thing is it's not just what you've seen and done it's it's that high, you know every every week we're going on an adventure where you're under threat your life is under threat and you know I, I don't want to be flippant about this but like we've had soldiers that do a tour of a you know Iraq or or you know Afghanistan or wherever and they're there for like what you know a year I, d- I don't know I I don't know and I wouldn't want to talk to it in detail but like you know they come back and they're like oh yeah yeah that constant fear of the base being attacked. You know, that constant heightened tension has an impact. Like you say, so when you come back, you know, that, that adrenaline always being up or like having to live in a certain way with a certain mentality, almost carefree or sort of like laissez-faire towards this idea of death in order just to get by daily and then switching that off. Like, you must have something like that staying in the TARDIS for a period of time. You're like, yeah, everywhere we go, I'm almost killed. Um, I have seen the earth destroyed numerous times. Um, I have met, I, you know, I have seen what's inside a Dalek. I've seen what's inside a Cyberman. I've seen what can happen. I've seen what happens to us as the human race. Um, you know, I have almost died. And then all of a sudden you're like, bye <laughs> back to earth. And you must be like, yeah. Um, popping down to Sainsbury's to pick up some groceries all of a sudden doesn't appeal where, I, I, yeah, I think there's a you know you could have it where, uh, uh, you know, uh, which one was it? Um, Martha, mm. she was only around for a season, but like she was like a doctor, you know, she was obviously trained to be a doctor, and when she left, like she went and joined, um, one of the others, and she was like, oh yeah, we now work for Unit, like, mm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you you yeah. led us on this path, like I had to keep going, like, you know, and I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I love Martha's arc. Um, you yeah. know, she's one of my favorite companions of the new who. Um, but I, I like everything that you're saying. And I, and I like especially the. You know, then this gets back to wanting it to be a sort of darker, slightly more realistic show. Right. But a more psychologically realistic show. Yeah. And so much of the problems of, you know, these shows uh come back to the serialized format where you know i mean i mentioned the family episode of next gen they had to fight to get that on the air because Mm. having that kind of connection was seen as a negative what the hell are people going to think when that's the first episode they tune into right yeah we need to explain this to them of course now that's disappeared with serialized television with the the rise of premium Mm. tv but you know i think so much of what what fails in genesis of the the daleks is because of that serialized thing that it doesn't have that recovery episode um it's and the other thing is this wasn't intended to be a revitalization of the daleks this was intended to be 
you know, for all intents and purposes, the last Dalek serial for a while. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's just like, well, if we're going to do the Daleks yet again, we better do something special with them. So let's do the genesis of the Daleks. Uh, and they asked Terry, they had Terry Nation, who invented the Daleks and mm. the first serial back to, to write it. So that's great. But you don't like why does this um, Time Lord show up in the beginning? You don't <laughs> see him at the end. <laughs> yeah. You know, the ending is just them spinning around and like, I hate the that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really horrible. And, you know, they're just going to be on to the next adventure. And it's not going to be, a, hold on a minute. Our, I mean, our choices led to the extermination of vast portions of, of multiple galaxies, if you believe this is like the sixth or the seventh galaxy or whatever nonsense um, mm. the doctor says. So what do you what do you make of, I mean, my theory is it's the serialization that sort of hampers a lot of this. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think that's the thing is, the, the two things <clears throat> that really stand out to me is first, like you say, that that serialization, that intent of like, what was it Stan used to say about, you know, every every issue will be somebody's first. Like, you've got to give them an intro point. So you can't be too uh, in depth. The other thing, though, is this was never intended to come back. Mm. This was supposed to be on, like you say, on a um, um, Sunday evening, Saturday evening, whenever. We're supposed to play and then was done. Um, and, and so I think that's the other thing is like they, they're not thinking about that again. It's like, yeah, let's do the genesis of the Daleks, it'll be cool, it'll get people in, and then it give us a good story because obviously they did all the novelizations because that was how you re, re- visited these. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like, okay, well, then we can give Terry Nation the opportunity to write this as a novel and we can book it out and everyone will like it and so on and so forth like that that's as probably as far as they got i think so you are you're right they're hampered by that idea of being the serialized let's move on um which has been around for decades even before this um and uh but i also think there's this notion of like this was never meant to be seen again <laughs> really so it was never a consideration of like no one's going to come back in sort of like the next season and be like like we're no one was supposed to come back and give it this level of analysis. We're like, what well, Sarah Jane could seriously be suffering from a, a phobia of heights at this point. <laughs> uh, right. You know, so I think that's the other thing is it was never supposed to be it was it's not to call it like fluff or candy fluff, but it was supposed to be one Disposable. and done entertainment. I mean, Disposable, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about I mean, comics were the same way, you know. Mm. So much of popular culture was intended to be disposable. Look, not only did the Beatles suck. Uh, you know, until they got controversial. Oh, uh, no, I mean, come on. The Beatles are the most overrated <laughs> band in history. But they were not, I mean, when they were doing covers and shit, you know, when they when mm-hmm. they started coming over here, they were, you know, nobody thought those songs would even be have records of them in 50 yeah. years, let alone that they'd have a catalog worth <laughs> billions, you know. Um, this was, even that was considered disposable, and that was a really big hit. Well, that's the idea of these. A lot of these things, like the masters, were often sort of destroyed, weren't they, for both music and television? Because they were just like, no one's going to want to see this again. <laughs> Put it in the bin. We've got a safe space, um, <clears throat> and especially serialized sci-fi. So, yeah, I think that's the thing. They were just like, and and, and a lot like um, comics in particular. Um, you need to have what do we call it? The the the, the second act. 
you know, you kick off with the first act, you have that first sort of interaction with the new doctor, you meet the new companion or you meet the companion, that's your first act, and then you're gonna run the second act route for as long as possible. And you don't wanna you don't wanna disrupt that because it's gonna be story after story after story after story, and you're never gonna, you know, and then you know, the the third act isn't really a third act, it's just passing into a new first act for a new setup, and that's it. Um and so, yeah, you're right. So that, that's the notion of it. There's never going to be a finale where you're going to have that sort of reflection and go like, there's a little bit more of it again in New Who. Like you said, they've addressed some of this. And again, I think of like, um, like you said, uh, Rose Tyler gets uh, a resolution rather than being dropped. That's actually sort of like heartfelt and feels a part of her journey. Martha had an arc. Um, um, what's her face? The brunette that was with the twelfth Doctor and stuff. Uh, no, uh, not so much. Don, Donna, Donna Noble. Well, they all did. Donna Noble gets yeah. sort of a you know resolution. Um, yeah, they've all they've always tried to address like a finale, haven't they, for the companions? Um, but even uh, but even the whole Davies era got a finale, and yeah, it yeah. goes on, right? But I mean, there is clearly the end, a a, a book ending there. Right. Mm. I mean, and not just a book, maybe a series of four books that's that's mm. ending there or five. Um, and you feel that sense of this is a real ending. Um, mm. Yeah. Somebody's going to do a successor series. But I mean, this has an arc that's gone from a traumatized. I mean, even there from a traumatized doctor to somebody who loves humanity and is a lot more yeah. open and uh, and has found that silliness in his heart again. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's the thing. I think that yeah, they've been able to do that. But you're not. We're not going to see that with classic Who. Like that was not the intent. Having said that, I don't know. You know, there was some. By the time they get to the Seventh Doctor, and we'll talk about Ace when we get there. Yeah, I remember Ace. She she's an interesting character. Um, and she is given beyond the seventh season. Sorry, beyond beyond the seventh Doctor, in books and some audio things, like she is given an arc and a completion, and I believe she even goes and travels like to Gallifrey and stuff. So, um, yeah. So it's interesting how the companions seem to form, become more than disposable later on, mm. you know, and they they give them more of an arc. Um, so we we will get to that point. What's interesting is that we've talked about this disposability and, and that's been so mm. much a part of talking about, um, you know, especially TV from this era and earlier, but, but even film, um, I mean, just popular culture in general was not meant to be preserved um, no. the way we think of it today. And yet it's fascinating that when uh, the doctor is narrating to Davros, uh, the mistakes of the Daleks, He's going through all the Dalek serials. Now he's skipping around, yeah. he's skipping forward. But, you know, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, clearly this whole serial is a very close prequel to the first Dalek serial. He then mm -hmm. references the second Dalek serial. He gets the year wrong, but he references the second Yeah, he says the year 2000, doesn't he? Yeah, it's 2100 instead of 2150. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's wildly off but but then he references and there are even in like the the was it morbius episode where you see this flashback there is this weird way in which the doctor was 
certainly by this point, that's also a Tom Baker episode. There is this kind of continuity that's mm. really being paid attention to in a way that you would not expect for a medium that is still essentially disposable. I mean, I guess it's, it, it is selling reruns around the world at this point. Yeah, well, don't forget, by this point as well, you've already had the three Doctors. Mm-hmm. So they've done the thing of bringing the three Doctors together um, and you're going to get the five Doctors um, mm-hmm. at a late point. So, yeah, it seems to be building on this idea of continuity in the loosest possible way. There is this thing of like, yeah, all this happened if we say it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it may not have happened. You know, it's it's all very... Um, the continuity is always quite loose. It's been tight, obviously, in New Who. That's the whole point, and they've tried to do sort of law around it. But even then, you say tight. Right, yeah, right, it's tight. I it's mean, slightly Davies tighter leave. than classic. <laughs> yeah, it, it got it got a little loose at times, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Like this idea that sort of like they can play with it, but it seems that like they they're playing with it rather than I mean, that's almost like an Easter egg, isn't it? That's mm. the kind of thing that if we yeah. were to watch a film now, you'd be like, oh, man, that, you know, here's the, here's all the Easter eggs you missed or you may have missed. There'd be an article about it on sort of Screen Rant or something. Um, and so, you know, you know, I like those kind of things. But, you know, that's a good point. And, you know, I mean, of course, people would be like, I'm a real Doctor Who fan. Like, I caught all yeah. those references. But, you know, I do think that while these sort of serialization limits this uh serial i mean it limits what you could do in this era um Mm. we both want some of that ptsd exploration you know the family episode but at the same time i do like this idea i do like serialized television and i do like this idea that this is obviously like chapter eight of the dalek serial and yet you can pick this up and enjoy this and have fun Mm. with this and you'll know that there's this animosity, but you don't need to know anything. You can't watch a random episode of Better Call Saul and do the same thing no. for any HBO series. No, and that's a really good point. Like you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't jump in at sort of like season four of The Sopranos and be like, yeah. right, I'm going to start from here. You know, like no, 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 you have to know all the the, the backstory. And like you say, this is just another adventure. Um, it's a stepping stone, though, isn't it, towards that serial, like the more sort of serialized TV we've said. Like, you know, um, we, we've talked about uh, previously the Quatermass in the 50s. Like, those stories didn't even have the same actor playing Quatermass in the TV shows. <laughs> like, you know, they were supposed to all happen, but it was very loose. It was like, well, that was live and no one saw it. All right, well, we'll watch the, the, this other one and so on and so forth. Um, and I suppose that was the same with this, but this seems to be that next level where fandom or pop, you know, we said, we said before, like the 60s into the 70s, sort of like pop culture sort of is picking up, you know. These things are picking up. People are paying attention to Doctor Who. So it's obviously around this time that things like Lord of the Rings was getting reread and all this other stuff. So people are getting into it. Yeah, the conventions have started. Star Trek's now, now happened. These things are being identified. And so they're recognised that the people that are writing it are recognising it and start to build that in. So it's one step closer to what we're going to get. Um, you know, this very much continues through the 80s, but you get continuity in the 80s with other other TV shows. Um, but then in the 90s, obviously, where it kicks off, 
you know, big time with like things like the X Files, if you want to say science fiction and stuff, where <clears throat> continuity and 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 you know wider stories become a much bigger bigger thing. Buffy later on, that sort of thing. So it's it's a stepping stone towards that and towards you know Sopranos and and Breaking Bad and and all those others. So hmm. yeah, while we're on the subject of continuity. Uh, I think both of us had this observation. The ending of this is that the doctor is very self-satisfied that he has delayed the Daleks by, he estimates, a hundred years. If that, he says a thousand years is what he oh, says. Does he? Okay. Well, yeah. You know, but even so, even so, right. I mean, the galaxy, multiple galaxies are going to be devastated by them. The other thing that I'm troubled by is, and I know this is such an inside baseball continuity issue. <laughs> and I, I love the first Dalek serial. And mm. so much of what makes this one good is that it's got the thalls and it's, you know, it has a starting point to then make a prequel of, right? Mm. It's not out of whole cloth. Yet that first Dalek serial can't have happened now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we assume that's relatively close, but I mean, it, that could not have happened in the same way, which means that the doctor didn't have that experience, which means that all the other serials didn't happen in that way, which yeah. means this serial couldn't have happened in that way. What, what the hell are we doing here, folks? Well, yeah. And this is where, this is where we get into this whole thing around timey wimey stuff that doctor who gets become so, you know, good at, um, <clears throat> Yes, I know what you mean, because I had the same thought, actually, where it was like, well, if you put everything back a thousand years, unless the Daleks can travel through time, then, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that just doesn't happen. Mm. And so, you know, does it change things? Um, or, if you really want to take, if you want to go back to a determinate reality, this actually event always happened. That cave-in at the mm. end always happened. Mm-hmm. And actually, because the doctor never says how far back they've gone, like, he doesn't know how far back or whatever happened. So this may have always happened, and this may have always been the genesis of the Daleks. And actually, I, that the, the delay is actually everything that he has actually experienced. Yeah, and I like that idea, and I, and I thought about that watching this. Like, right, we all know you're going to fail, right? Because the Daleks aren't yeah. are going to show up again, right? You know. Um, Although there were there have been multiple serials that were written as the final we're killing all the Daleks, even in mm. New Who. Yeah, they've um, done it like four times. <laughs> I know. And it, it gets to the point where I just don't want to see that. It's just like, yeah. um, but so you could get out of those things. But in a universe in which the doctor has altered time and time clearly can be altered. How do you have this, you know, sort of predestined thing? Um well, Where, the only you know, the only way I can do it, going back to head cannon again, <clears throat> is all these other times, or the majority of the times he's done that, he has intervened. He's been in the TARDIS and he's gone there, and it's been the thing. He was pulled out of the TARDIS with his companions by this random Time Lord that we told nothing about, who's straight out of the Seventh Seal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, um, and so you know, my you don't know his motivation. And so, you know, again, headcanon, mm. like he could be the, he, he could be the one that's like, actually, this needs to happen. This is mm-hmm. a fixed moment in time. One of those time to things. 
we need to make sure the doctor arrives at this point in order to instigate these events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like That's, that idea. I mean, yeah. that would be very cool. Yeah. And we've seen that the Time Lords are manipulative and do this stuff. So, you know, it, it can sort of fit with what they do. So that, again, in my head canon, that's why everything happens in the way that it happens, is that it was always supposed to happen this way. Hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's the only way it makes sense, <laughs> to me at least. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to say it's a pulp adventure. It's fun. Hmm. There are ways that we can make this make more sense, but ultimately it's fun. It's got yeah. a little bit of continuity to it, you know, but it's light. It um, is. And at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's like straining these things too much, right? Like we could talk about the depiction of uh, the ableism of this episode and that's <laughs> all well and good. And that's quite correct, but that doesn't mean that, this was intended to be a to bear that social weight the mm. intent you know the intention not that that's an excuse that those ableist things still are there right mm. objectively but this was intended to be some pretty disposable fun and yeah. i think especially compared to past doctor who it that we've covered it does seem to be doing sort of 90 plus percent of what oh, it yeah, intends definitely. to do yeah compared to I have, you know, we've talked about stuff, but I've not come in with the level of questions I had from Inferno or the the open-ended sort of like dropped threads that that series had. Um, no, I, I love this. I, I really enjoyed this serial. And, and, you know, this is, I can see why people have it up there as one of the best classic Who stories. Um, I think it does stand up. I think it's, it, like you say, it stands up and you can understand some of the flaws of it because of the t- because of the time period because of the budgetary constraints because of other things it all makes sense <clears throat> but I-, I can imagine this story hmm. if if this story was done new who in the davies era or something how th- this would be up there like hmm. they would have knocked this out of the park and they'd have addressed you know this would be one of those amazing things and that's what, when, I, when, I, when we've gone back on this and I've gone through the stories, I've done like little bits of side research and stuff, and they've covered all these bits and pieces off. It often amazes me how good New Who is and how they've connected some of the dots because you do go back and you're like, wow, they must be real fans and real knowledge because <laughs> there's some stuff that they've they've addressed that, you know, like I wouldn't even think of. But it's interesting. Well, and I love that. And I think part of the fun of Doctor Who is that sort of tapestry of Mm. all of that continuity, even if it's not all needed or you don't need to be aware of it all and it's not all very tight. But I mean, part of the fun of Doctor Who is that longevity and that even that variation of quality, you Mm. know, sort of accepting. and, And this is very much my approach to franchises in general is you accept the good with the bad uh yes. you know you don't get to say i'm a huge fan of of alien except for those alien and predator movies well yeah. no they made them you know yeah. they might not be in continuity but you know i mean you could say you don't like them but mm. you know um but don't say a true fan does this or a true fan does yeah, that. yeah, no, yeah. i mean it's it's all I love the Doctor Who. I mean, for as much as I hate the timey-wimey stuff, I love the idea of, no, it's all in continuity. 
And mm. I think that is the the right, right approach. And I love just looking at that massive thing that you've you've created. Um, and Tom Baker is really the, the the point at which sort of the most would argue that it was sort of reaching its apex. I would agree. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll round out the now. I think we'll sort of come to an end. But one of the things, because we obviously are going to move on to the fifth, sixth and seventh doctors. And I, I know very little about the next two doctors. Um, other than they are a little controversial. Uh, well, the next three doctors really have their contra- controversies, uh, you know. So it's going to be an interesting thing now where I think we, you're right. I think we've sort of hit the classic era apex. You know, you've got the what is often, as you said, considered to be the top, the top classic doctor with the top classic story. So Genesis the Daleks often in, in a lot of the lists I saw comes out as the classic Doctor Who story. It's sort of like it's like the Dark Knight Returns of Doctor Who sort of stories for people. It's sort of it's always yeah, or like, the best of both worlds of you know yeah yeah yeah. It's I mean, and don't don't forget the, the one of the most probably the most popular companion too from the original. Yes. and I don't mean Harry. Yeah, yeah. No one means Harry. Everyone forgets Harry. <laughs> Talk about disposal. Even the doctor's like, oh, oh, you're here. Oh, well, yeah, you can come home too. Didn't um, you just die? Oh, well, I guess I'll take you with me again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm really interested now to be entering this next stage of who and the next couple of doctors, um, which I think will, you know, when we talk about the eccentricity, um, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be really sort of like a, huh. You chose cranking, that. Cranking that up to 11. Yes, indeed. Uh, but any final thoughts for Genesis, Genesis of the Daleks before we, uh, before we sort of wrap up? It's better than I remember it. And, mm. I, you know, and I remembered it as, as, as good. Um, but I, I think what you're saying is right, that if this were a New Who episode, what I'm struck by is how little rewrite you would need. Yeah, you'd need some things here and there. There's stuff you could cut, but this could very easily be a two or three parter. You know, other episodes we watch, other serials, and I think, okay, this is, you know, maybe it's eight episodes of half an hour each. You know, and I think, well, this could be four. <laughs> you know, you <laughs> could cut this to four and not really yeah. miss that much. You're very comfortable at six. Here, I think, no, I'd want it to be this length. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can cut a few things and, and add a few things, but it really is of a different level, and it, it is better, if anything, than I remember. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I really enjoyed visit revisiting this. I think there's some really good standout things. I think it's it's. I understand now why it's a defining story for many people for classic Who. Um, you're right though, like you say, there are some bits I would tweak. There's bits I think, but I think there's other bits that are just classic that are just standout. And also, like, to create a character like Davros so iconically, uh, and then to give him the finale where they're like, oh, we may have killed him, um, is is wonderful sort of, like, you know, ending to it. So I think it's done very, very well. The thing I would highlight as well is, just wanted to wrap up, is how um, towards the end this gets... We've talked about how much killing goes on in this towards the end of the show. Nidir, the, or, um, yeah, it's called Nidir, Nidir um, the... Hmm. Uh, the the sort of like Davros's second in command sort of guy, how he's sort of built up as a as a this sort of like evil, and then he's killed off 
just killed off. And it's wonderful. I like that. That like you know, no, this this is where the Daleks are like dismissive and and not no pity. There's no remorse. Brilliant, and I enjoyed all of that. So, yeah, I'm all on board for this episode uh, or this serial. Um, and you know, it's, it's it was it was great fun. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping you're enjoying our sort of travels in the TARDIS through those classic Who stories. Uh, as I say, we'll be moving on to the Fifth Doctor next, and and Earthshock. Um, Earthshock. I was just checking. Yeah, which is considered to be the fifth Doctor's, or many by many by many, the fifth Doctor's uh, best story. So we shall see how that stands up. Um, other than that, if you like what we're doing, if you really enjoy what we're doing, uh, go to your podcast catcher, leave a review, five stars, four stars, but preferably five stars. Let us know what you think. We had a new one recently. Thank you very much for a recent review I saw on uh, iTunes. Uh, just to let you know, you did mention some things like, you know, I do sniff quite a bit. I'm now addressing it. I'm I'm loaded with drugs right now to address it. So I'm hoping it was better. But if you, more than that, if you really like what we're doing, check out the Patreon. Um, Julie and I are back on there working not just through, well, through another science fiction horror classic, The Twilight Zone, episode by episode. Uh, a similar discussion on there. Much shorter, little short bites. Um, but they have been really good fun. So go check that out. There'll be a link down below. Yeah, and the reviews really help, and we really appreciate it. it it's not a lot of money, you know, if you, if you can't afford, you know, five pence uh, or five pound uh, a yeah. month, you know, you can, you know, get a lot of content for that and really make a difference for us keeping the lights on. It does, yeah. We're keeping all the notes on, and it allows us to sort of expand and do different bits and pieces. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Thank you very much uh, for listening and I hope you enjoy this bonus series and we shall see you on the next episode. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams. <laughs>